0: Hello, I'm Luke Hunt, and this is a podcast for The Diplomat. With me today is Peter Starr, who's been the chief editor on a new book about Heng Samrin, who is uh, one of the classic, uh, even iconic, characters of Cambodian politics who led the invasion of Vietnam over into Cambodia that ousted the Khmer Rouge eventually in 1979 from Phnom Penh. Peter, welcome to the podcast and uh, congratulations on the book, The People's Struggle, Cambodia Reborn. Tell us a little bit how this book came into being. I I understand there was a book out on Hang Simring a few few years ago uh, and uh, this has been circulating in Khmer, but this is is the first English language edition and it's quite uh, an historical document.
1: Yeah, the the original memoirs of Heng Samrin were published in Khmer in uh, 2013. That that had limited distribution to an international audience. Obviously, it was mainly targeted at a Khmer audience, a Cambodian audience. That was um, a second edition of that book came out in Khmer um, in 2016. Um, that was basically more or less the same as the first edition, with a few extra photographs that were not in the in the first edition.
0: Tell me about Heng Sem Rin, the man. He's uh, former Khmer Rouge. He fought with them and then he realised, like many within the eastern zone of the Khmer Rouge, who were based along the Vietnamese border, he realised what the Khmer Ru- Rouge were doing to their own country and in particular to their own people. He saw that, he fled, he went to Vietnam
1: and he came back. Well, what's very interesting about this book, which, you know, um, uh, his memoirs, is that the first... You know, the first two-thirds of it, really, is before the liberation of Phnom Penh in 1979. He goes into quite a lot of detail about his early childhood, about studying with a monk for three years and then entering a Buddhist monastery for five years and joining the party and and gradually making early contacts with the Vietnamese in the the early 60s and gradually becoming a member of the Khmer people's uh, revolutionary army and, and basically moving up various military manc- uh, ranks uh, until he eventually commanded his own division. Right, and that was, what, five to 8,000 men? Something we've done with the English uh, version of this book, there's, there's quite a lot of changes to the Khmer version. You know, one thing we, we've included is, is the size or the approximate size of Cambodian and Vietnamese military units because they weren't exactly the same. From my understanding, the Cambodians followed more of a French system, whereas the Vietnamese followed more of a a Soviet system. So, you know, in Cambodia, a division was anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000 people.
0: It must have been one hell of a fight to come here and oust the... uh
1: the Khmer Rouge. The the details of what happened in December 2, 1978, are already well documented. Uh, As you know, we did this in a a coffee table book, uh, an illustrated history, which we did back in uh, 2011. That was when uh, Hanks and was chairing the ASEAN Interparliamentary Assembly. We did a nice little coffee table book with uh, lots of old Soviet photos we got from that period. What's interesting about this book is the military history that goes before that. Um, It goes into extraordinary detail, particularly geographic detail, uh, about the fight against Lon Nol, who who overthrew Prince Sihanouk as head of state in 1970. Then it goes into quite a lot of detail about, I suppose it was a false dawn, if you you will, in 1975, Mm -hmm. when the Khmer Rouge came to power. What's very, very interesting is Heng Samrin recounts a lot of the problems he, he had with uh, ta the so-called butcher. Who was a military chief. Exactly. And he was responsible for the southwestern zone. Uh, Heng Samrin was coming from the eastern zone under the command of Sopum. There was quite a lot of early confrontations uh, before 1975 that Heng Samrin's forces had with Tarmok's forces. And Hankserman actually recounts how how he lost many of his men who simply disappeared when they um, entered the southwestern zone and when they made inquiries about what happened to them, um, they didn't really find out. They basically just disappeared.
0: Yeah, I remember one small tale from the book how his soldiers were, I guess, browbeat, sick and needed medicine and were being being denied real medicine and so he sent off... Dispatched two uh, two units, two separate occasions. Exactly. The first unit goes out, yeah. they don't come back.
1: They were looking for um, traditional medicine, um, uh, you know, various plants, um, traditional medicinal plants up in Phnom Chisol, which is in Takal Province, and that was in the, I suppose, the heart of the uh, the southwestern zone. And exactly, that. they went off, and um, he lost two groups of men, um, never heard of again.
0: Right, and this was. Uh, this was earlier on in the piece, and then...
1: This was that, before 1975. Right,
0: yeah. and then later on it was becoming obvious that um, the purges within the Khmer Rouge, which uh, I might add were subject to the Genocide Tribunal, which um, recently secured a, a convictions against uh, Nunchia and Q Sampan. Mm. But it was that purge that really split the Khmer Rouge and enable. This uh, I was going to say Vietnamese faction, but that's not quite the right term. But enabled uh, enabled a lot of these soldiers cadre to defect to Vietnam, and uh, where they formed their own militia
1: and came back with a vengeance. Yeah. What's interesting is is that the the internal struggles within the or internal conflicts within the Khmer Rouge, were sort of Pretty evident from from day one. Um, after they liberated Phnom Penh in April 1975, Heng Simran recounts um, at one stage seeing these 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 young 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 men sort of wearing black pajamas. Now they were from the northeast, up in you know the various ethnic minority zones, and a lot of them didn't speak Khmer. Um, from all the accounts we have, is the peop- the, the soldiers in the eastern zone we were wearing regular military uniforms you know khakis or whatever mm-hmm. so you know from day 1 uh, you know hang sam runs forces were having problems with again Tarmok's forces from the southwestern zone at one point Tarmok's forces blocked off monivong boulevard and said well no one was allowed to step over to the western side of monivong boulevard which
0: of, which of course is the um, the main street through
1: the capital phnom penh uh, and what happened, and what one of, um, one of, um, uh, senior officers w- was actually imprisoned, um, uh, by Tarmok's forces. This is, this, again, this is immediately after liberation in 1975. Um, we, we've slightly, in doing this and working with the editor in Singapore, Tim Orger, we, we s- did a slightly different cut of the chapters. The text is all the ch- same, but, um, we've, we've actually created more chapters uh, and this pati- particular chapter we, we've entitled um, False, False Dawn mm-hmm. for fairly obvious reasons. Um, the other interesting thing is, that, you know, Heng and Rins forces didn't stay very long uh, in Phnom Penh after 1975, April 75. It was only, uh, I can't remember, a month or two. Uh, and they were ordered back to Preveng province in the eastern zone. And it was quite interesting when... Uh, he recounts you know, crossing the bridge at the end of Mon- Monivong Boulevard um, crossing the Bassac River they were frisked by the Khmer Rouge soldiers and basically every, everything was taken they were only allowed to keep one of everything so they were all- allowed to keep one toothbrush and one pair of trousers and so on and so forth the only thing they were allowed to keep more, more than one of was um, hose for digging for digging ditches, for irrigation and right. so on and so forth
0: Hardly the um, the kit for a military outfit. Exactly, exactly. It was uh, after that the uh, Eastern Zone forces. They were ordered down to the uh, Southwest Zone, and the Southwest Zone was uh, ordered to shoot anybody from the
1: Eastern Zone. The Eastern Zone came under attack not only from the, the, the South people in the Southwestern Zone, but also at one point. think it was 1977 or 78 they came up uh, under attack from the the northeast zone as well you know and as the story progresses it it appears pretty obvious that um, Pol Potts had a big falling out with the eastern zone and particularly the commander so who was on the central committee of the party but um, I mean as you know the what was going on? Every, everything was so com- compartmentalised mm-hmm. at the time. People didn't really know what was going on everywhere. Every, I mean, a- anywhere. It was very centralised in, in, you know, under the central command of Pol Pot. Ankar. And the Ankar on- didn't really. Also, in English,
0: that's a reference to uh, the organisation exactly. as they were obliquely and omnisciently referred to.
1: Yeah, uh, what what's new in this book, and a lot of people have asked me what, you know, so, okay, so we had the Khmer edition before. This is the English English edition. Um, you know, there are a, a, a few other things maybe I'll mention later, but fr- from in point of view of the text, what, what's interesting is there's additional text on, on the death of Solpom. Um You're probably aware a lot of uh, foreign academics have speculated for a long time that Silpom so uh, committed suicide in 1978. In fact, Heng Sam Run, who was very, very close to Silpom, so re- recounts in quite detail how he was um, ordered to be killed along with his wife and children by, by Pol Pot's forces. Uh, and that took place in Preveng province. They were trying to escape to, to Vietnam, but never got there.
0: Where I'm a, something of a fan of this book is because it does shed light on a period where simply not enough is known. There are very few good books around that documented what happened, that documented the Vietnamese occupation. One or two exceptions. But uh, when compared, say, with uh, the books that have focused on Pol Pot himself and the Khmer Rouge, Mm. there's very little is out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's two books. One was written by an American guy. That covered the period in the 80s pretty well. Evan Gottesman. Exactly, exactly. The other one that's much more extensive is by the Australian academic Margaret Slocum. The story behind that is quite funny because um, there was a, an Australian colleague who was working at the National Library and one day, uh, this must have been sometime in the nineties, late 90s perhaps, one day saw someone carrying out a whole lot of documents to, to throw in the rubbish or burn or whatever and this person said, well, what's that? And he checked them out. And they were, were all these um, old party documents from the uh, 1980s so this Australian guy said, well, hold on, don't throw these out. And the story I've been told is that Margaret got copies of these documents, you know, these internal party documents and speeches mm-hmm. and stuff, and was, because she can read Khmer, she was able to reconstruct uh, a lot of that period very, very well from, from internal party documents.
0: And, of course, Hang Samrin played a large part in the political landscape of this country. Another two decades of war continued an eventual piece of sorts. But how is his relationship across the region? I mean, the book has got some terrific photos there that I've certainly never seen. And he's um, tied up with all sorts of leaders from uh, Fidel Castro to the, uh, the communists of Belarusia to obviously the region Laos and Vietnam.
1: Where is his place in the communist system? For the sake of listeners, I think we should just sort of go back a little bit and and just sort of point out that... Sure. um, December 2, 1978, uh, Heng Simran and 13 other people defecting set up the United Front for the National Salvation of of Cambodia, uh, Cambodia as it was called then. The military offensive started about three weeks later, and, you know, by four or five weeks later... um, uh, 7th of January, you know, Phnom Penh was liberated. From that time, um, you know, huge amounts of Vietnamese and Soviet assistance in particular flowed in. And there was a lot of assistance coming in from other Eastern Bloc countries, Cuba. Uh, we can't forget India. India was the only non-socialist Bloc country that recognised the People's Republic of Kabuchia that was established in 1979. Uh, and, and basically, up until... You know, the early '90s, when you had the Paris Peace Accords, um, all, all the fo- for, all the foreign military, so, sorry, foreign assistance coming to to the People's Republic of Cambodia was from the Soviet Union, its Eastern Bloc allies in Europe, uh, Mongolia, for what it's worth, Cuba, Laos, Vietnam, and India. That was it. And Hanssenman travelled pretty widely during this period. I mean, you see from the book, there's photos of him with Gorbachev, with you know. The Hungarian leader, uh, the Czech leader, um, East German leaders, uh, Fidel Castro and stuff, so he was he was fa- fa- fairly well known, but as you probably recall, he was sort of reviled in the West as some sort of puppet of Vietnam and uh, what 's interesting now is of course you know in the in the early '90s he emerged as um the honorary chairman of the party and uh, sorry, we should step back a bit. I mean, in 1979, he went on to become president or, of the State Council of the People's Republic of Cambodia. So you know, he was effectively head of state. A few years after that, he became secretary-general of the party. Okay? And it was only in the, the early 90s that uh, he became honorary chairman of the party. I mean, since then, uh, he's re-emerged as president of the National Assembly. So he's, he's had this sort of second lease of life. He's now 84 years old and incredibly active. He still travels abroad. As you're aware, he's currently the chairman of the Asia-Pacific Parliamentary Forum. He's going to be chairing that next month in Simri. But for an 84-year-old, he's, he's surprisingly Sprite um, and very, very active. Still enjoying the odd game of golf, I'm so, told? Apparently he's, he's a very, very keen golfer and he does uh, quite a lot of exercise every morning when he gets up. OK, still a village boy. Yeah, um, from from my understanding, he he doesn't particularly love living in Phnom Penh. He'd rather be back in his village, and and when he gets the opportunity, he goes back to the village. As you can see in the book, he's he's done a, a lot to um, build new housing and and uh, various infrastructure such as irrigation facilities in his, in his village. But he says um, he, he's most happy when he's back in the village.
0: Right, I mean, he's. Uh Cambodia has also gone through quite a few political upheavals over the last 12 months, particularly in the lead-up to the election. And in a kind of quirky way, there is a separation of powers in this country between the party and the executive. Mm-hmm. And Heng Samrin has really stood aside from, I guess, the political maelstrom that impacted on Cambodia this this year. It's almost like there's the role of the monarchy, mm. the role of the party, which mm. a lot of people tend to overlook in this country. Mm. Mm. And then there's the role of government. Mm-hmm. How, how would you define Hang Simrin's place within all of this? It's, it's quite, you, go, you go around the countryside and you'll see no shortage of billboards with uh, the Prime Minister Hun Sen up there and it used to, also up there it used to be Chia Sim who
1: has uh, chaired the party and mm-hmm. has since passed away mm-hmm. and there's Heng Sem Rin. Um You referred to various political events over the last 12 months or so. I mean, basically Heng Sem Rin has, has been above the fray. In Cambodia now, we've got a sy- system similar to, to what they have in Vietnam and Laos. You've got these sort of four key pillars. In Cambodia, we've got the monarchy, We've also got the party, the government, and the National Assembly. Now, you've got the same things in Vietnam and Laos, except there's no monarchy uh, in Laos or Vietnam anymore. Uh, Instead, you've got the state president of both countries. The other thing in Cambodia is that a lot of people in Anglo-Saxon countries with Westminster systems find this a bit difficult to understand, but... In Cambodia we've got a very strong separation of government and parliament and it's more modelled on the French system Uh, and I was talking to someone from Holland the other day, they're saying it's very much the same system as well. When you have elections, you get elected to the National Assembly, but then some of those elected go off and form the government, Prime Minister, Interior Minister, Defence Minister, whatever. And then you have other people who come in to replace them. So at any given time, the National Assembly is off doing its business and the government's off doing its business. They're quite separate. quite often the, the, the chairs of the various committees that you have at the National Assembly can summon ministers and say, well, what's this? You've drafted this law. What's This doesn't look like it's the you know, correct wording and stuff like that. So it very much follows the, the French system uh, and not the Westminster system. How did you get involved with this project, bringing it back to the book, mm. Cambodia Reborn? In 2014, I was appointed as a Senior Advisor to the Parliament. And around, I think it must have been the following year, 2015, I was asked if I could help edit the English language version of this book. Now, I was given the text and quickly found out that it was the translations that had been done by four or five different people. So the 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 first major challenge was to get consistent spellings of people's names and geographical names. The geography sounds a bit irrelevant, but as you know, it's a complete nightmare in Cambodia because there's always different ways to spell, even yes, provinces, you know. And no one agrees on this. And Kampong, kampong. Oh, it's just, you know, one ministry will use one set of spellings in the Latin alphabet. Another ministry will, will use another. We used fairly standard ones, which are pretty well known. But there was a lot of geographic detail, extraordinary amount of geographic detail in this book, you know, of various battles that took place in the late 60s towards the late 70s as well, when they were overthrowing Pol Pot. The, the the amount of geographic detail is quite extraordinary. That was the first challenge, to sort of get all the spellings consistent. Right. The second challenge is we had to go back with the translation team and check the translation. And, of course, we found a lot of errors. And that was a, a fairly time-consuming task as people had their own jobs and were doing it, you know, so we could sometimes make... For two or three hours a week, maybe, you know, four or five hours a week. Mm-hmm. But we weren't working on it full time because we had other things to do. And that's why it took, you know, two or three years for us to finalise the whole thing and be confident that it was a right accurate translation.
0: With the um, invasion, which I suppose was the um, defining moment of Heng Simrin's career, if it hadn't been for that, he could have, he could have easily have been slaughtered along with the rest of them. And the invasion, they had their fair points of resistance mm. where they had to fight their way through. But it was that invasion that made Heng Simran as a man and, as a, and set him up as a politician of the future.
1: Well, I think no one else had ever heard of him before except the Vietnamese. The Vietnamese knew him from the early 60s. Right. And in fact, there's quite an interesting uh, episode in the book where Heng Sem and, and the people with him mm-hmm. are trying to make contact with the Vietnamese. And they, they contact some Vietnamese, but they don't know who Heng Sem is. And finally, he, he gets put in contact with his senior Viet- Vietnamese military commander, who's been trying to find him, but Pol Pot's forces had been sort of lying and saying, oh no, he's in the interior of the country, we we don't know where he is, and stuff like that. We, of course, don't use the I word in the the book, we use the word offensive, because, I mean, that's sort of more of a military term. Uh, So, you know, it was a joint Cambodian-Vietnamese military offensive, no one can argue with that, uh, and that's just the plain facts of history. We avoided using the word advance because that's a bit of a euphemism that some people talk about Right. For example, in Southeast Asia, the Japanese advance into Southeast Asia. So we avoided that. We just wanted to. We tried to stick to military termino- terminology. Well, there's a the reluctance to use the word invade. It's it's a loaded word. word.
0: It's a loaded word. Well, I mean, it was a foreign military coming into <laughs> a for whatever the reasons and no matter how justified. I mean, yeah. I still find it incredulous that some people, particularly in Cambodia like to argue that uh, the Vietnamese invasion mm-hmm. um, was not justified and that it was just a land grab when uh, it's obvious what the Vietnamese found here and the atrocities that were committed under Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, particularly what? out at S21,
1: were extraordinary and uh, there was more than enough justification there. Well, there's two things there. I mean, the, the recent uh, verdicts that were delivered by the Khmer In the Rouge genocide country. trial genocide against the Jum Muslim population and, and the Vietnamese population. Now, a lot of that stuff happened, uh, and in the court ruling, it's limited to you know the killing of Vietnamese inside Cambodia's territory. Right. That particular judgment doesn't extend to all the Vietnamese, on Vietnam, Vietnamese territory. Well, there were the a lot killed. of
0: incursions conducted
1: by Pol Pot Exactly. And what he
0: considered Saigon as uh they call Prey Nokor yeah. and the banana leaf line in yeah. that anything south of the banana leaf line which is where bananas grow yeah. was Kampuchea Krom or territory defined by the Khmer Rouge as legitimately Cambodia yeah. and it just seemed absolute folly mm. to think that they could command military incursions into southern Vietnam mm and reclaim this land as their own. And Absolutely. really what they did was say they, they, they weren't... The, the incursions were kind of cross the border, slaughter as many Vietnamese exactly. as you can, mm. and then run back behind the border. Mm-hmm. It
1: was military nonsense. Absolutely. Um, uh, it's worth pointing out. Um, it would be good if, if Cambodians, particularly younger Cambodians, were aware of this. You know, the hundreds of people who were killed in these attacks, particularly in... I'd say thousands. Yeah, I think so. Um, no one, of course, really knows. But, yeah, it's more likely to be in the thousands.
0: So, say Ta- where they crossed the border at Tainin mm-hmm. and uh, slaughtered the Cowdae, who had their own yep. set of... Yep, uh, religious beliefs. Yes. And they were all con- always considered a bit of an anathema to mm-hmm. Hanoi, mm-hmm. and they didn't like them at all because the dye were very anti-communist. Mm-hmm. But they crossed the border, and I got told 5,000 were slaughtered in a day. Now, yeah. I don't know whether that's... Uh, an exaggeration or not, but mm-hmm. it's uh, there are an awful lot of people that were killed, and they said the uh, Mekong River ran red with blood that day. Yeah, which is well, what they told me many years ago.
1: You know, the the two major attacks in- occurred in Taining Province in Vietnam and Anyang Province in Vietnam, and you you go over to Chao Doc today, in, which, which is, is a border a uh, border town on the border bil- town on the river on the uh, on the Basak River. You know, there's still monuments to the war dead and. You know, let's point out a lot of these people were women and children. They yes, they were. We're not talking about Pol Pot's forces fighting Vietnamese military forces. We're talking no, about were sneak about attacks, sneak attacks, slaughtering women and children. And you know, there was most of the people ki- killed, from all the accounts I've read, were were civilians. Right,
0: and there's no denying what happened here. Now, particularly given the tribunal is. Delivered its verdict on the genocide. It's delivered its verdict on uh, crimes against humanity and on uh, what happened at the S21 sure. extermination camps. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't, these arguments that the Vietnamese was were more or less helping themselves, and it was, a, I guess, an extension of the domino theory that was always prevalent at the time. And there is some argument to that. However, uh, it, to overlook the atrocities that were being committed here,
1: uh, it's almost offensive in itself. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with the verdict is is some Cambodians may be tempted to sort of say, well, well, what about us? You know, what about all the people, um, the other people who are exterminated by the Khmer Rouge? And that's, I mean, you know the reason for that. That was because the definition... The, trial, the tribunal was defined by yeah.
0: crimes that only occurred in Cambodia exactly. and between April
1: 75 and early January 1979. Yeah, and you, basically you can't commit genocide against your own people. This is, this is a legal
0: argument. That, <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a legal argument that was used, but it's sometimes difficult to explain to some
0: What What well. do, what does Heng rin say about genocide? And did he fully comprehend what was happening here before he defected, or did this become, uh, did this only become obvious after he returned with the invading forces?
1: Well, no, 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 no. De- definitely beforehand. I mean, right. The.
0: I mean, the extent of the carnage that was occurring. Uh,
1: you know, it's hard to put a, a timeline on it, but I mean, between 1975 and 1978, there was a, a pretty slow and gradual realisation that things were not going right. In 1976, they were preparing for the celebration of the anniversary of the founding of a party, and making all these celebrations to have a big party the next day and slaughter some cattle or whatever and have a big party. I think it was around midnight on the day before, they received telexes, a telex sorry, from Phnom saying, look, no, it's all over, it's all been cancelled. So if you read very carefully, um, it's quite clear that Heng and suspected something weird was going on in, in, in Phnom Penh as early as 1976. Uh, and when you read through 76, 77, 78, it was a gradual realisation that Pol Pot had, had actually... you know was Obliterated the, his own world, country. Yeah, and he was intent. Uh, he had a particular gripe against the eastern zone. He thought they were too much influenced by the Vietnamese. Pol Pot, you know, attempted to, to, mm-hmm. to execute Sopem uh, when he came... The uh, head of the... The head of the Eastern Zone. Yeah. Uh, when he came on a sort of reconnaissance mission to Phnom Penh. Anyway, he escaped with Heng Sem forces, and that's when they, sort of, they were trying to get Sol Pum to, to Vietnam, and that's when he was killed by Pol Pot's forces. But then Heng Sem Lin's people were separated. He went back to his home village and blah, blah, blah. And eventually they got over the border into Vietnam. And when, when the Vietnamese found him, they were like, oh, this is the guy we've been looking for. This is the guy we've known since the early 60s. And right. They, you know, flew him by aircraft to to Ho Chi Minh City. They put him in a hotel. I think he'd never been in a hotel before. He'd certainly never been in an aircraft before. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. And on that note, Peter Starr, congratulations on what
0: I understand has been an immense amount of work in uh, delivering Cambodia Reborn into English and doing all the academics, historians and journalists who have covered this country a very big favour. Thank you very much. Thanks, Luke.